Chapter 5 Eastern Winds <laughs> I don't think King Jupiter's cause is picking berries, Heather said. She and Pickett had, as they had predicted, been ordered to make a trip into Westwood and pick berries after breakfast. <laughs> the stranger who introduced herself as Lady Glen had said little at breakfast. They ate quickly, feeling the unspoken urgency in the air. Lady Glen eyed them sternly throughout, but before they left on their errand, she had given Heather a quick smile. You're right, Heather, Pickett said, hurling a stick into a tangled bramble off the path. But it's our job anyway. We may as well enjoy it. Heather slumped her shoulders and pushed out her bottom lip, walking as if heavy with gloom. Then she burst off running with a laugh. Last one to Gladeberry is a turtle. No fair, Pickett shouted, running after him. Heather was upset about being left out of the important talk back at the house. But it was hard to be sad on a day like this. All around them, Nick Hollow was, al was coming alive. The spectacular rainstorm of the day before had made everything greener and brighter. Never mind the broken limbs and downed trees. It was a perfect spring day, breezy and bright. The air was warm around them, and above them lay a deep blue blanket of sky. The sunlight sparkled through the wind-bent boughs of trees, dancing in an ever-shifting pattern of shadows along the path. They ran for a long time, around Evergreen Road, along the widening stream, and even past Seven Mounds. Seven Mounds was always an enticement to distract them from chores, but not today. Last summer they had discovered what appeared to be a hidden cave entrance at the base of the third mound. It was a small crack, almost impossible to see. They weren't sure if Heather could fit through it, and Pickett had been too afraid to go in alone. They had agreed to try it again sometime. They hadn't yet got up the courage. What a day, Heather shouted, as Pickett caught up to her at Bladebury Crossroads. They stopped to catch their breath. Heather looked down the lane that wound to their right the way to Gladebury. To the left, it was only a minute's run to Elric's farm. She considered going down to check on old Mr. Elric, but decided that they'd better stick to their instructions. Plus, she hoped to see Lady Glen again. That parting smile had stuck with her. You ready? she asked after a minute. Of course, he said, still puffing. I was just stopping for you. Heather smiled, shaking her head. Why do bucks have to pretend to be so tough? All right, she said, clapping. Let's a faint but distinct scream came from the direction of Elric's farm. Was that? Pickett whispered, but Heather held up a hand for silence. <clears throat> she waited, hoping they would not hear it again. All she could hear was the beating of her own heart and Pickett's labored breathing. <coughs> Another scream, this time louder and more urgent. There were more noises, no voices gruff and insistent. <coughs> 
followed by more screams. The house, Heather shouted, grabbing Pickett's arm. Run! She darted off back in the direction of their home, running hard. Pickett followed quickly, though they were both tired from their long run of just a few moments before. They moved fast, Heather in the lead. Every terrible possibility flashed before her eyes as she ran. She imagined their elderly neighbor, neighbor Mr. Elric, being attacked by enormous, bloodthirsty hawks, talons razor sharp, and beaks gaping. Then she imagined them attacking her home, baby jacket, mother and father. Father would know what to do. They had to reach home. She noticed that Pickett had lagged behind her, clutching his side. We have to move, Pickett, she screamed at him, stopping to let him catch up. Heather didn't know what to do. She considered running on ahead to warn their parents, but heard the insistent voice of father inside her head saying, always stick with your brother. But was this different? There's no time, she cried. We can still make it in time to warn them if we hurry. Think of Jack's. Pickett nodded gravely and gasping for air, they launched into a full run once more. Heather smelled something awful. This day, which had been so bright and lovely only moments ago, felt suddenly heavy with doom. Even the sky seemed to darken and grow gray. The smell was far worse now, burnt and foul, and the gray haze thickened above. Heather's foreboding grew. They raced past seven mounds and through Evergreen Row, worry filling their fast-beating hearts. They turned the last corner out of Westwood, preparing to sprint across the meadow to their home. Heather skidded to a stop. She was not prepared for what she saw. Their elm tree home was on fire. Gray smoke pumped out of the upstairs and downstairs windows, spilled through the door to the porch and gathered into the sky. Orange flames licked the higher branches and played at the edge of every opening. Heather barely stifled a scream. In the smoky haze, she saw large black-clad figures in the meadow. Wolves, she realized with amazement. Here? How? She was incredulous. She had never seen a wolf, but recognized them from her reading and her parents' descriptions. These wolves were organized. They clearly had captains among them. She saw some barking orders and others in formations. They were all in uniform, dressed in black with a red diamond on their chest. The right side of the diamond fell away in a fang. Their arms were marked with what looked like a hideous brand, a wound standing out bare against their coarse fur. It looked like an M. She saw a terrifying scene of confusion. She hesitated only a moment and then grabbed Pickett and dragged and dragged him back into the woods. Then she darted sideways, hauling her terrified brother into a thorny thicket. Once inside, they got a look at some of what was happening in the meadow, their meadow. Heather strained to see through the smoke, trying to find her parents and baby Jacks. She saw a collection of about 15 wolves in the foreground, about halfway up the meadow, near the fallen maple limb. The maple tree half burned with a tangled scar of black char where the lightning had ripped through it 
somehow still stood. The hard rain had doused the flames that would have surely overtaken him. It struck her as almost funny that she noticed the red ribbon of their star stick wedged into one of the still intact limbs of that dying, damaged tree, trapped forever in the clutches of a charred and crippled monster. Some of the wolves were prowling around the edges of the pack, looking in all directions. Teeth bared, their harsh, snarling voices polluted the air. Heather viewed them as a foul offense. They looked, she saw, with terror, very hungry. In the hazy distance near the house, she could vaguely see what looked like a struggle. She tried to make out the forms darting around through the smoke and flames. It was that gray form, father. She strained her eyes. Pickett interrupted her focus, sobbing loudly. She pressed her hand over his mouth and then shook him, finally lifting his chin to look in his eyes. She was stern, serious. Not now, Pickett, she whispered. Later. What would father want? Pickett nodded, raking his hand across his nose and sniffling. He took a deep breath. Heather gave him another stern look of confidence, nodding. Then she bowed her head, collecting herself to look again at the awful scene of her ruined home. She turned and then gaped in terror. Five wolves were running straight at them. Read the next chapter, read the next chapter, read, read the, the next, next chapter, read the next chapter. Chapter six, Red Eye and Smoke. They had heard Pickett. The wolves closed in on them. Heather hissed, follow me, to Pickett, and dove deeper into the thicket. The wolves crashed in after them. She turned to Pickett and said with all the authority and confidence that she could muster, third mound, don't look back. She slapped his back, urging him on. As she slowed, Pickett bolted, changing direction swiftly like a leaf in a sudden strong breeze. He zigzagged through the maze of thorns and brush and disappeared. Heather turned to face the wolves, who were having a harder time of it in the dense thicket. She saw only two. The other three must be trying to head us off. She let go of the idea that she could do any more for Pickett than she was doing now. The longer these two were delayed, the better chance he stood of making it to safety. She stopped in a hollow of the thicket. The wolves crashed in, brutal, hulking creatures breathing hard. Two wolves slowed as they neared. They looked surprised to see her standing still. Heather smiled. Perhaps they didn't realize there had been two rabbits. Go on, Pickett. She's smiling, soldier, the wolf in the back said, his voice like grated gravel. He appeared to be the leader. Plainly older and calmer, he carried himself with a cruel dignity. As he slowly crept closer, making no sudden movements, Heather saw a long, dark star cross the left eye of his face. It went right through where his left eye should have been. His right eye was bright red. He laughed in a guttural, sneering laugh. She is perhaps honored to be eaten by us. His smile, hideous and hateful, vanished. 
Give her the terms, he growled dismissively. Heather could see he had measured her and dismissed the possibility of a struggle. He looked out of the clearing, back toward the meadow, his mind clearly moving to other concerns. Yes, Captain, the nearest wolf said. Hello, food, he said to Heather, his voice higher, filled with excitement. His eyes were wide and wild. Come with us, easy-like, and you'll live for now. Struggle, and we're allowed to kill you. Please, do struggle, the second wolf said, moving slowly to flank Heather. His calm manner, compared to the frenzied eagerness of the younger wolf, was even more frightening. He was wicked and cold, and she saw he had done this kind of thing many times. Heather decided to try to imitate his calm. You believe you have me, but you don't. Not yet, she said, trying to keep her voice low and even. I know this thicket. I can disappear before you know which way to look. The awful captain laughed, but she now had his attention. Maybe this is a mistake. I should have let them underestimate me. So it talks, the red-eyed captain sneered. That's precious. I talk, yes, she said, and, I'm, and I'll not go quietly. I'll bite back before I'm finished. Now both of the wolves laughed and exchanged looks, blinking in amusement. Well, captain, the younger wolf said, amid high-pitched laughter, at least we've had some entertainment. They moved to widen their distance apart, and now the two of them formed two parts of a triangle, with her as the third point. She looked from side to side. These were no fools. She was cornered. Your pride is your weakness, she said. The younger wolf let out a howl of fury. Let me finish her, Captain, he begged. She shames us. Only if we let her the captain said, motioning for the other to remain calm. I'm intrigued by you, little rabbit doe. There seems to be quite a lot of fight in the rabbits of these parts. <laughs> Heather felt a jolt of fear. What had they done to her family? The older wolf went on. It's odd that traitors and deserters would be the least bit bold. <clears throat> We're not deserters or traitors, Heather said quickly. Her voice cracked. Then what are you doing so far from home, he jeered, and in such questionable company? This is home, she said, not knowing what he meant by questionable company. They have given you lies for every meal, child. You have swallowed them and kept asking for more, he said, his voice crackling like dry thorns in a blaze. He smiled. He savored this as much as the attack. Your father is a coward and a liar and a traitor, he said, finishing in a proud, toothy snarl. She looked down for a moment, sad resignation on her face. The wolves looked at each other, their faces red of satisfaction at breaking her. But just as they looked from her to each other, 
had her acted. She pretended to be deeply wounded by the captain's words and crouched down, showing she was beaten. Then she erected between them in a flash. The two wolves, seeing their mistake, recovered quickly and lunged for her. She narrowly avoided their snapping jaws and felt the stirred air of their missing strikes, their hot breath. They collided as she dashed between them. She had only bought a few moments, but planned to make the most of them. She had rested as they talked and had planned her next moves. Now she went to work. Behind her, she heard another piercing howl, high, terrible, and fierce. She recognized that this was from the younger wolf. The howl was followed hard by a cursing, guttural roar of orders. Her fur raised at the sounds, but she ran on. She darted back and forth through the thicket, emerging far from where she had entered. She left the thicket and ran across a small opening for the cover of nearby trees. She heard a loud barking command. She couldn't make out what it was, but soon saw its effects as she peeked out from behind an oak tree. The sky, already acrid with twisting plumes of smoke, filled with flaming arrows, which plunged into the thicket she had only just escaped. The thicket burst into flames, and even more smoke filled the air. Good. Let them think I've burned. She prepared to flee, eyeing the great wall of gray smoke passing before her. She waited for it to thicken a bit more as the fire kindled to a blaze. She stared into the smoke. Then through the wall of a of gray, a gust of wind opened a slim, wispy window. She saw across the clearing a single red eye, and it saw her. They stared at each other for a moment. Heather was still. In this moment, she felt that all the meaning of her life was to escape and so frustrate this wicked, one-eyed wolf. She could have run right then, and he could have called his wolves, but neither moved. Neither blinked. Then the smoke thickened, closing the window in gray, and the moment was gone. Heather looked quickly from side to side, then darted along the smoke wall toward the evergreen row. She moved by instinct and memory. She couldn't see much at all. She knew if she ran as fast as she could, she could be in the row of evergreens in a minute. The great walls of smoke surrounded her like an ever-shifting house changing shapes all the time. She inhaled a gulp of smoke, unable to avoid it. She slowed, coughing and sputtering. I can't stop now. Heather winced and wavered, the thick gray air closing in on her. She ran on, still trusting her way, but doubt crept in. The scene was so confusing, and she was tiring again. The smoke burned her lungs. Maybe she was running the wrong way. When she coughed, had she turned? Where was she headed? Any wrong move would likely mean the end. She needed to be perfect. Minutes went by. How many? She couldn't tell. She could hardly breathe. The blanket of smoke was covering her, and there was nowhere to turn. She ran on, but was running out of air. Her eyes stung. I won't make it. Coughing, she looked up and saw a break in the smoke above, revealing a clean blast of sunlight before a brilliant blue sky. She smiled. 
For the briefest moment, it occurred to her that this would make a happy last sight. But the air began to clear in a sudden strong breeze. She saw the tops of the evergreens in the near distance, the ever-widening circle of blue brightness as the heavy clouds of smoke retreated. She knew where she was. The ground was still heavy with smoke, though it was clearing. Her eyes stung. The smoke began to blind her. Tears came, filling her eyes, and she saw more clearly. The smoke on the ground was twisting in the wind and being carried off like sheets jerked from a clothesline. She saw the tops of the trees, knew she had to make it near, <coughs> knew she had made it near Evergreen Road. She smiled, throwing herself into last yards, gathering all her energy for her greatest possible speed, then looked straight ahead. The last of the ground smoke cleared to reveal ten waiting wolves at the bottom of the first pine of Evergreen Row. Read the next chapter, read the next chapter, read the next chapter, read the next chapter.